0: today's passage is Romans 14 verses 1 through 15. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks thanks to God, while the other Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I am persuaded in the Lord in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died.
1: This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alex. Well, this morning, we are continuing in Romans and looking at what it means for us to be a people. Uh, who love others. And as we kind of began several weeks ago, as we moved from the first 11 chapters in Romans into chapter 12, we begin to see the shift in the first 11 chapters, really focused on who God is, what God has done, what, what is faith, saving faith, why do we need to be saved, just the wisdom of God, the sovereignty of God. And then as you go into in chapter 12, says, therefore, in light of the mercies of God, everything that's happened before, this is how we respond. We, we respond as living sacrifices. We lay down our lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. And we do that not just individually, but we do that as a church. We do that as a family. We do that corporately, that the way we live as sacrifices is not meant to be on our own, alone, just kind of doing our own Christian thing, but it's meant to be done with others, with the body. And so we've been looking at, okay, well... What does that look like in real life over the last few weeks? And we're going to continue on in that, into this text that probably for, for many of you, if you've been around the church before, it's been one that you've heard before as we talk about not judging one another, not despising one another. And we're going to get into kind of what that means today. Uh, this past week, week and a half, we've, we've dealt with some different issues in our home, personally, Katie and I, uh, of Jack, our oldest, has had Uh, a child in one of his classes who's not been very kind to him, to put it the least. Um, You know, maybe a little bit of just kind of things he says, things he does, messing with him, giving him a hard time, saying things that are unkind. And so we've been wrestling with our son, okay, how do you respond to him? What what do you do with him? Because, you know, Jack's desire and inclination like any of us would be stay away from him, avoid him, you know, all those kind of things. How do we respond to people who remain to us? How do we respond to people who we disagree with? Uh, and in that situation, it's one thing to, to talk to our son and say, well, you know, this kid may not know Jesus, his family may not know Jesus, he, we don't know what's going on, and all those things are right. And even as we've been going through Romans 13, that's one of the things that we're called to do in Romans 12, is to love our enemies, to love those who persecute us. But then when we get into Romans 14, as we, we just read, the conversation shifts from loving our enemies so how do we love those who we do disagree with who are in the family of faith? Anyone ever have that question come to your mind before? Like, how do I worship with, fellowship with, love, work alongside people who say they are God's children who I disagree with, who, who rug me wrong? And I'm sure you've never had anyone in the church like frustrate you or rub me wrong. Anybody in here didn't think so? Like that never happens in church, right? So what do we do? When that happens, how, how do we live together? How do we worship God together? And this text that we just read together, and we're going to work through over our, our time this morning, deals specifically with that question, with this issue. And into this issue, and a specific issue that the church was facing in Rome uh, that was causing some disunity and some disagreement. Paul gives the church at Rome this charge, and he gives us the same charge as well, and that's our big truth uh, for this morning and of this text, and it's this, living sacrifices walk in love. People who are living sacrifices walk in love towards one another. This is your call. This is my call. This is the call of the church of God's people. That if we truly are living sacrifices, we are laying our lives down in worship to the one we just sang about, and we are living glory, glory to you, to God, we must, in turn, walk in love towards one another. We just read it. If you want to look again at verse 15, and we'll spend more time in this section next week. But verse 15 says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. So what what Paul has charged the church at Rome and charged us as the church here at Tri-Cities is that we are to walk in love. If you have your Bible open, you can go to chapter 13 where we were last week. Pastor Mike did an incredible job walking through this section of scripture. If you weren't here, you want to go back and and listen to it. Verse 8 says this, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So Paul's saying, Don't owe anyone anything except to love them. You are to walk in love. And whenever in Scripture in the New Testament it says one another, it's not just talking about random people at your work or just people out there. One another is always talking about the family, the body, the, the church. We walk in love towards one another as the family of God, the people of God. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. And the reason we know that is because Paul uh, knows what Jesus said the night that he washed the disciples' feet before he went and he was betrayed in the garden, John chapter 13. He said, a new commandment I give you. So the original commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you that you would love one another, God's family, just as I have loved you. This is the way that a lost, dying, darkened, blind, broken, deceived world is going to know who my disciples are, by the love that happens here among the family of God. When we walk in love towards one another as living sacrifices, our lives are a picture to a lost and dying world of the beauty of the gospel. Amen? So here's the question. If we are called to be living sacrifices, and living sacrifices walk in love, how do we, as God's people, walk in love with brothers and sisters in Christ? With whom we disagree? It's, it's a good question, right? And if you have it, go ahead, yeah, put it on the screen. How do we walk in love with brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we disagree? How do we do that? How do we worship alongside brothers and sisters in Christ? When we have disagreements with them. How do we live for the glory of God. When there are brothers and sisters of Christ. In our church. In our study group. In our life group. Who we disagree. On areas of freedom. And to this issue. And to this question. Paul speaks in Romans 14. He's addressing a specific issue. The congregation is going through. In areas of freedom. uh, that, That they must address. If they are going to walk love. So before I just drive straight into this, I just want to make a couple kind of broad statements. One, there's a lot here to unpack, and so there's notes every week. There's notes available for you online. You can go back and pull some of these things up if you don't get everything now. Second, we can't dive into everything here during this time, so there's this place called Behind the Message every Wednesday night. Uh, and even this Wednesday at 6.30 here, we're going to dive deeper into this text, some of the issues that are here that we won't have time this morning. So I would invite you to go into that. Um, with us. So, third, and we'll get into this a little bit more as we walk through the text. But it's really important to note that as we walk through this passage, that Paul is specifically talking about areas of Christian freedom, not areas of sin and right and wrong. So, there are some things in the Christian life that God's Word, in fact, many things, is very clear on: that this is sinful, this is holy. This is how we're to live. This is not how we're to live. The issues that Paul's addressing and the issues that we're going to look at today, they sit inside the realm of Christian freedom, of wisdom, of of what is best, not absolute right, absolute wrong. And it's important as we walk through this text to see that, and it's important too, uh, for some of you, you might have uh, experienced in this church or even churches pre- previously, you've you felt judged for things that you've done, you've felt judged for things that you've said, you felt condemned for things that you've done and said. It's really important, if the things that you have done and said are in opposition to this Word, you should feel judged and condemned. Because God's Word, it condemns us. It calls out our sin. It, it reveals what we aren't, and it reveals what we should be. And that happens regularly in the church. Even Jesus, when he talked about judging in Matthew chapter 7, and he said, you know, before you go after the speck in your brother or sister's eye, you need to take care of the log in your eye. He never says not to go after the speck. He just says deal with your heart first, deal with yourself first, examine yourself first before you pursue your brother or sister. And so I just want us to be very clear from the onset, if you, are, if you or I are living in areas of unrepentant sin, God's word should pronounce and call out something in us. And that is a good thing. It's a good gift of God's grace that his word and his people get to be. And I pray that we're the kind of church family that if you look and see a brother or sister who's living in unrepentant sin, that you would speak to them about it. That you would call it out. That you would make it known in their life for their good. For their soul. And so as we get into this passage, it's really important to know that Paul's speaking about areas of freedom. Not areas of absolute, but the Bible does speak to areas of absolutes, and we as the church should speak to areas of absolutes for the good of our brother and sister and for the glory of God. In fact, many of those have already been addressed as we've gone through the book of Romans. So I just want to pray for us again, and I just want to invite you to pray with me, even for the person to your right or your left, that as we unpack how do we walk alongside brothers and sisters with whom we disagree, that, that God would reshape the way that we love Him and love others. Father God, I need You, we need You right now. Holy Spirit, please open our eyes and our hearts to understand Your Word and to respond in obedience to it. Change us for Your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how do we walk in love with brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we disagree? My goal is to try to get through four big ideas this morning that come out of this passage that help us understand how to do that. The first one is this. To walk in love, we must begin by seeing ourselves as weak. To walk in love, we must see ourselves as weak. We must see our need. We must see that we have not arrived as a Jesus follower. Amen? No perfect Christians in the house this morning. So look at verse 1 with me. As for the one who is, and this is important, weak in faith, welcome him. Now I'll be honest, most of the times I've read through this passage before, I've kind of ignored those words in faith, and I've just looked at the words weak, and I've just kind of assumed he's talking about immature Christians or young believers, people who don't really understand what's going on, so they're having a difficult time. But he's speaking to something else. If, as you read through chapter 14, one of the things you notice is Paul never condemns those who he calls weak. In fact, he says that the practices they do, they do for the glory of the Lord, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. He doesn't condemn the weak believer. This isn't one of the passages, and there are many, uh, in Peter and Paul's writings where he calls believers immature and that they need milk instead of solid food. He's not talking about these people this way. These believers who he deems as weak are trying to love God, they're trying to be faithful, they're trying to honor God with their lives, but they have a weakness, they have a deficit in their faith. And brothers and sisters, we need to be real enough with one another and with ourselves to acknowledge our faith in the way we practice it for most of us is not where it should be. One implication of this big idea is this. Because of pride, our natural tendency is to not see ourselves as being weak in faith. I don't know about you, but when I read verses like this, the first thought that comes to my mind is, I'm not in that category. That's the first thought. And the second thought that usually comes to my mind are people who I would assume to be, who need this more than I do, right? Any, anybody else, a sinner in the room like myself, and you have these thoughts about people? And so our default mode is to not see ourselves as weak, but it should be the opposite. We should assume that there's a good chance that we are weak in areas that we don't even see, that we have blind spots. And Paul's speaking to that here in this passage. In fact, this theme of faith is so important that chapter 1, verse 1 begins with this idea of faith for this one who's weak in faith and then the whole chapter ends verse 22 and 23 comes back around the concept of faith the issue that is causing the disagreement within the church is a faith issue one set of believers are walking in confidence in faith in conviction in faith overflowing out of the gospel in a way that another set of believers has not arrived at yet and for us who live in America and we live in this world where we have abundance and plenty and we love control and we think we know best, a lot of times we don't walk by faith, we walk by sight. We walk by control, we walk by what's comfortable instead of walking in faith. And if you want a picture of what walking in faith looks like, and we don't have a lot of time to go through this, but, but he's given us one already, Romans chapter 4, Abraham now, some Romans chapter 4, in the context of it, it's talking about justification by faith and how we we're made righteous because of faith. But there's also a part of Romans 4 that just talks about the way that faith gets expressed in a believer's life. And this is what the Apostle Paul says about Abraham. I'll just read it to you. You can go back and read on your own. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he'd been told, so shall your offspring be. Listen to this. Chapter 4, verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver according to the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. See, the faith that saves us is not just faith that saves us. It is faith that continues to grow, and it shapes the way we live our lives as believers. Saving faith is not just about salvation. Saving faith shapes every decision that we make as a Jesus follower. And so we must be wary when we enter into disagreements with other Christians to check ourselves first and see, am I walking in faith or, this is important, am I walking in preference? Am I walking in faith and obedience to what God's Word has called me to do or am I walking in preference because this is what I was brought up to believe? There's a huge difference between those two things. But a second implication that's really important for us is this. It's that we need to recognize that God has given the body people, brothers and sisters, other than you, other than me, who are stronger in their faith, and we should submit to their wisdom. Friends, there are people in this church family, it's one of the gifts of this family, who are further along in their faith than you and I are. And Paul is functioning as that right now in this text. He's speaking to them, urging them, shaping, reshaping the way they look, reshaping the way they think about the issues that they're facing. We too, very practically, do you, do I, have other brothers and sisters in our lives, in this body, whose lives are marked by a faith that's more obedient than yours and mine is? And We should have those people, we should crave those people, and we should let those people help us follow Jesus. Paul is doing that for the church that's here. So first, when we're in areas of disagreement, areas of practice, areas of freedom, where we don't see eye to eye, we first need to check our own faith. Am I walking by faith or am I walking by preference? But secondly, second big idea is this. To walk in love, we must reject judgment and resentment. To walk in love, we must reject judgment and resentment. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So here was happening in the church. Here's here's the picture. Within the church, there were two groups of people. One Paul calls weak, the other Paul calls strong. And if you're wondering, well, how do I know if I'm strong, or how do I know if I'm weak, we won't have time to get here now, but if you want to come back to behind the message, we'll talk about that later. So there's two groups of people, strong and weak. The weak believers, based on our understanding of the context within Rome, uh, Romans, were probably Jewish believers. So think Romans 9 through 11. We've already talked about the Jew-Gentile divide that's there. And so in this church, there are Jewish believers, there are Gentile believers. And they're Jewish believers because of their background in Judaism who are choosing to abstain from certain types of food and eat only vegetables. Later on, in chapter 14 and 15, Paul will address drinking wine as well. They're choosing to abstain from wine. Uh, and they're choosing to worship only on one specific day, the Sabbath day, because that's what their heritage um, has they've been brought up in their heritage. So as another corollary example to this, think about Daniel uh, in, in Daniel chapter 1, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 1, the king's officials want Daniel to drink the wine and eat the food of the king, and what does Daniel want to do? He, he asks if they could have permission to not drink the wine, to not eat the meat, but instead to eat vegetables. So this seems to be a pretty close corollary to what's happening, except that was before Jesus came and died on the cross. This is after And so you've got Jewish believers who are saying, if you're going to honor God in your worship and in your practice, all Christians in our church should not eat certain types of meat, they should not drink certain types of wine, they should only worship on certain days. Then you've got Gentile believers who, in their freedom, um, and who have come to know Christ, they are saying, you know what, I can eat whatever kind of meat I want. I can eat vegetables, I can drink whatever I want, I can worship on whatever day I want, because there's freedom in Christ to do those things. And so the, the stronger brothers, the Gentile brothers, as Paul calls them in this passage, are looking down on, they are despising is the word that's used here. It's to look down on, it's to have contempt on, it's a heart, uh, it's looking at someone with your heart and uh, having resentment toward them. And then there are weaker brothers, probably Jewish believers, who are judging the Gentile brothers and sisters who are eating everything, drinking everything, saying, "You are walking in sin by what you eat and drink and the day that you worship on because you're not holding to the things God has called us to." And so when we judge someone what we are doing, and this is the word for judgment, we are pronouncing judgment over someone else, meaning we set ourselves up as judge and jury over someone else. And Paul says don't do that. Don't despise, have resentment, and bitterness in your heart toward your brothers and sisters for areas of freedom and practice that they live in. And on the flip side, don't try to be the judge and jury over other brothers and sisters in Christ. Because God is the judge and the jury, right? And this is what he goes on to say in, verse, in chapter 14, verses uh, 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So what Paul is saying is there is a judge, there is a jury, he is God, it is not you and me. And so in areas of freedom, we should not judge other brothers and sisters. In areas of freedom, we should not have contempt or resentment or bitterness toward other brothers and sisters who practice differently than we do. So just a few implications uh, just to try to bring this down another level for us. First is this, calling a brother or sister in Christ to turn from sin... Or weakness of faith out of motivation of love is a gift from God. So I, I want to be really clear here for us this morning. If you see another brother or sister in Christ in sin, if you see an area of weakness of faith, to call them to what is right and holy is a good gift from God and grace. Because this is exactly what Paul is doing in this passage. Paul is not judging the weak saints. He's not judging the strong saints. He is calling both of them toward obedience in Jesus Christ. That is a gift of grace for all of us that we should pursue. Secondly, judging or despising a child of God is ultimately a symptom of a self-righteous and hardened heart. Now, this is really important for you and for me. When we look down on other brothers and sisters because of their practice, that speaks back to your heart and my heart. When we act as the judge of the jury over other brothers and sisters, that speaks back to a self-righteous heart. Putting ourselves in the position of judge and jury over someone else is not our right as brothers and sisters in Christ. There is one judge. And thank God it's not you and it's not me. Amen. Judging and despising are ultimately heart issues. And so, just let's go even more practical. Is there anyone in your life right now that you have resentment, bitterness, frustration, anger, unforgiveness toward? And if the answer is yes, brothers and sisters, we must repent of that. Because, and this is the third implication, in areas of freedom, we should not judge anyone because God is the judge of everyone. And that's a good thing, that God is your judge, and God is my judge. He is the one who makes the final decisions over us. He is the one who sees us and who knows us. And so we must guard our hearts against resentment, and we must guard our hearts against judging in areas of freedom, and I'm not going to go through all the lists. We can talk about music. We can talk about dress. We can talk about what time worship services are. We can talk about should you have fried chicken after lunch on a, on a Sunday morning or should you not or whatever those things are that we feel like are the normal practices that a Christian should practice. God says there is a better way in areas of freedom. So if we're going to walk in love, first we must recognize our own weaknesses, our own weakness of faith. Second, we must reject judging. We must reject resentment. We must reject the enemy that's going to pull on your heart and my heart to look at another brother or sister and to condemn them, put them down, think less of them, be frustrated with them instead of entrusting them to God. So ultimately, when we we come against someone we disagree with, We have a choice to either hold that disagreement or we have a choice to give them to God. Paul's saying, entrust them to the judge of their soul as a weaker brother, weaker sister, stronger brother, stronger sister. Which leads to the third big idea. If we are going, how do we, as, as Jesus followers, brothers and sisters of Christ, worship, serve, live with people we disagree with on areas of freedom and areas of practice? Thirdly, to walk in love, we must welcome others as God has welcomed us. So instead of judging them, Paul says we are to welcome them in. Look at verse 1 again. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Verse 3, on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. I mean, this is just gospel, and I love it. It's beautiful. We welcome others because God has welcomed us. Amen? Amen. We don't judge others because when God could have judged us rightly, He chose to accept us through Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we don't look at our brothers and sisters as enemies. We don't look at our brothers and sisters of frustration and areas of freedom and areas of practice. We look at them through eyes of love because they are children of God who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we welcome them in arms wide open because this is what God has done for you and what God has done for me. And it is the gospel and it's beautiful. This is why Paul's speaking to it at all because ultimately it's a gospel issue. To accept someone or to reject someone because of what they do falls into legalism, right? God does not accept or reject us because what we do for Him. God accepts us because of what Jesus has done for us in our place. And so we gladly welcome brothers and sisters into our lives, even when we disagree with them in areas of practice. So let's let's get into this just a little bit more because I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. This word welcome, it's the main exhortation in this passage. To the strong person, he says, welcome the weak brother in. To the weak brother, he says, God has welcomed him. You welcome him too. First implication, we must not view other believers through the lens of religion, but instead through the lens of family. When we look at other brothers and sisters of Christ, we aren't looking at them through the lens of religion or Christian or church. We look at them through the lens of family. They are brothers and sisters of God. And so we Welcome them in because we are children of God. And verse 10 uses this language of brothers. We have been adopted into the family of God. So we see people differently. To walk in love, we must see other believers as family. One of the things I love about being in a life group, and I, I comment a lot in it in our life group, is because when you sit in those circles, and even the last couple of weeks with our life group, like, there, there's tears, there's burdens. We're talking about how God's convicting us. We're praying for one another. We're talking about who we're trying to share the faith with. And there's legitimate brokenness in the group. And we are living together. And I look around this circle of people and I say, and I, there's no reason why I would be in a room with these people. We have little to nothing in common. The Cowboys are playing football, and I'd rather watch the Cowboys than hang out with other people because I'm an introvert and I like football, and all these kind of things. Why would I sit in a room with these people and pour out my life and let them pour out their lives and all of our differences? It's because we're family. This is what it means to be a part of the family of God. This is what God's calling us to, and it's a beautiful thing. Then a second implication in this is that we must sacrificially and intentionally welcome our brothers and sisters into our lives, even when it's difficult. Maybe you better say, especially when it's difficult. Anybody in here know a difficult Christian? You don't have to raise your hand, especially if they're sitting next to you, right? Like that. Don't have to do that. We all do. But guess what? There's probably people who think you're a difficult Christian, okay? We all are. We all can be. So how do we Live with one another. How do we worship? We do it. We welcome people in. And I love the way John Stott describes this word welcome and and its real meaning in the Greek. This is what he says. To welcome means more than general acceptance. It means more than an invitation of belonging. Or even it means more than to invite someone into your home and friendships. Here's what it means. It means to welcome someone into one's fellowship. Listen to this. And into one's heart. It implies kindness and genuine love. See, Paul's not saying just welcome them in the church, welcome them into your life group, welcome them into your study group, let them be here, participate, be cordial. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, as the people of God, we are to welcome others into our hearts into our lives, into the deepest part of us. This is what it means to be the body. This is what it means to be the family. If all you do is come to church on Sunday morning, go do your thing, you are not living as a part of the family of God. We get the privilege of opening our lives up to one another. This is why we do life groups, not to sit around and have a spiritual conversation once a week but to open up our lives to one another so that we can help each other run from sin and run toward God and live out the gospel. And the beauty of the gospel, friends, look at me for a moment, the beauty of the gospel is this, you can do this with people that you don't always agree with. You can do this with people whose theology looks a little different than you. You can do this with people whose practice looks a little different than you. Not on areas of absolutes, not on areas that are gospel, but in areas of freedom, we can welcome others into our lives. And this is what makes the gospel look beautiful when we live this way. So are you welcoming people into your life? Are you welcoming people into your heart? Or are you living self-protected? Have have you walled up your heart? Have you walled up your mind to other believers? And friends, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. If you open your heart to other Jesus followers, it will probably be wounded along the way. But so was Jesus, right? Jesus opened his life. He opened himself up to us. He was Beaten by us, rejected by us, despised by us, but He opened His life to us, and so now we get to open our lives to one another, even when it's difficult, even when we disagree. 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, the Apostle Paul says this, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, or our own lives. I love that, because you become very dear to us. Second Corinthians six, eleven through thirteen, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart, our lives, they're wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts, open your lives, welcome people in also. Friends, just So practically, this is one of the prayers that myself and our elders are praying for you, praying for our church, that we would be the kind of church that opens our lives wide, that opens our hearts wide to one another because this is what makes the gospel look glorious because this is what God has done for you and me. He welcomes us in. In our mess. In our brokenness. So just being painfully practical How can we open our lives and welcome our lives up to brothers and sisters whom we disagree with if we've not ever opened our lives up to the people that we actually agree with? Are you in a life group? Very practically. Are you in biblical community? If you are in some sort of group, are you actually opening your life up to people around you, even people you disagree with? Are you just being surface-level cordial? Is the community of God and the family of faith, is it a priority for you? Because if it is not, there's no way we can walk in love according to what this passage says. We must open our lives, welcome one another in, just as Christ has welcomed us. One last big idea. Close our time. If we're going to walk in love, first, we must recognize our weakness. Second, we must reject condemnation We must reject judgment. Third, we have to welcome other people in as God has welcomed us. And lastly this morning, we'll pick up again next week, to walk in love, we must live as servants of God who exist for His glory. We must live as servants of God who exist for His glory. If you have your Bible with you, look at verse um, 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? So we do not serve other people. We do not serve ourselves. We are servants of Christ. This is why you exist. This is the purpose of your life. This is the purpose of my life. If you are a Christian, we serve Jesus. And it is before our own master that he stands or falls. And I love this. He will be upheld, for the Lord will make him stand. If you are Christ, he will hold you up. You will not hold yourself up. He will hold you you up. Your master will take care of you, and so we live for our master. Verse 5, one person esteems one day better than another, another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. What does that mean? Comes behind the message, we'll talk about it. Verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in, this is important, honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains in honor of the lord and gives thanks to god honor of the lord gives thanks what does that mean the weaker brother the stronger brother they do they're living for the same thing god's glory and when you and i even if we have differences in practice differences in freedom differences in the way that we look at some of those things again not in areas of absolute but in areas of freedom even in our differences we can be united why Because if you're living for God's glory above all else, and I'm living for God's glory above all else, we are living for the same end. This is what unites us. This is why as a church family, Tri-Cities Baptist Church, we have four principles that undergird everything we do. And the cornerstone principle is that we exist for the glory of God. This purpose is what unites us. This purpose is what grounds us. This purpose is what drives us. You don't live for you. You don't exist for you. You don't exist for your job. You don't exist for money. You don't exist for your kids' success. You don't exist for happiness. We exist for the glory of God. Amen? And when we live for the glory of God, what unites us is better than what separates us in a world that is scattered and separated and divisive and all over the place the church has the opportunity to be the beacon of light for the gospel because we are united around the same thing the glory of God through Jesus Christ and so we live for the glory of God so just really practically a couple principles one is this just in conclusion when we live or sorry when we love God most we will always love others more. When you live for God's glory, when you love God most, you will always love others more. You will always be quick to forgive. You will always see people differently. You will always be more willing to lay down your preferences. Why? Because when God is the goal and our love for Him is utmost and foremost in our minds, we begin to see people the way that God does. And when we see people the way that God does, we love them like God does. Inside the family and outside the family. If you love God most, you'll love your spouse more. If you love God most, you'll love your children more. If you love God most, you'll love your coworkers more. You'll love your classmates more. When you live for the glory of God, you will love other people well, because that's what God does. And when we live for the glory of God, we do what God does. We love what God loves. And it changes us from the inside out. And so the things that divide us and cause us to disagree get brought back in because we live for something beyond ourselves. So if you want to love and walk in love toward your brothers and sisters in Christ, don't just live for the end goal of love. Live for the glory of God and you will love others more. You will love others well. And I love that he says, running out of time, I love that he says, let's keep going, that this is in our living and in our dying. Verse 8, For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of the living and Lord of the dead. Friends, Whatever stage of life you are in, you can live for the glory of God. For some of you, you're in the latter stages. For some of you, you've gotten a prognosis that will lead to your end. You can glorify God there. You can glorify God in your living and in your dying. I was reading about an artist named Michael Card. He, He was in Nashville and a Christian artist and he had a guy in his life, uh, who was a mentor to him named Bill Lane. And Bill lived in Seattle and was a pastor and he invested a lot in Michael. And Bill got the news that he had cancer and that cancer was going to be terminal. And Bill lived a full life. His kids were in different places across the United States and um, he called Michael and he said that he wanted to move to Nashville to be with Michael in his last days. Michael didn't really understand why. Why would you not go to where your family is? Why would you not stay where you are? He loved where he was. And this is what Bill told him. I want to come to Franklin, Tennessee, because I want to show you how a Christian man dies well. Think about laying down your rights, laying down your comfort. I want to show you what it looks like to die well. This is what Paul told Timothy. I've run the race. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I want to show you what it looks like to lay my life out well so you can live your life for Jesus Christ. In your living, in your dying, you can live for the glory of God. And it reshapes the way we love one another. May we become this kind of church. May we become these kind of people who welcome others in because God Welcome us in. Last thought. The band can come up. We do not live for the approval of others or for the approval of ourselves. We live for the one who had the right to judge and despise us, but instead was judged and despised and rejected and murdered in our place so that we might become accepted and beloved children of God. When God had the right to despise, reject, resent us, to judge us, Jesus took our judgment. Jesus was the one who was despised and rejected so that you and I might have life, so that you and I might love those who we disagree with, and so that you and I might be a shining light for the glory of God. My prayer is that in your living and in your dying we would be this kind of people for the glory of God until Jesus comes again. Would you pray with me? Father God, we we love you. Forgive us. Forgive our resentment. Forgive the way that we look down on others. Forgive the bitterness we hold against one another. Father, forgive us when we judge each other based off of our freedoms and practice. Father, I just pray over my brothers and sisters that if any of them hold ill will, brokenness, resentment, rejection toward another believer, that they would repent and confess, that they would make those things right. I pray that we become a church that welcomes one another in, that opens our lives wide open, just like you have. Father, I just pray for the unbeliever here this morning. They would understand that the judgment that they deserve has been paid for by Jesus Christ that you'd save them, that you'd open their eyes to see their need for you, that you would rescue them and that you'd help us to be a light to the world. Lord, we need you. Help us to obey you. Church, we're going to respond through singing. As we do, this is your opportunity to respond, to pray, to go to the hub, to to bow down, to go find someone that you need to repent and confess to. This is your time. Respond as the Spirit would lead you.